Hey everyone, you're listening to Mind Body Green's Beauty Podcast, Clean Beauty School. I am your host and beauty director, Alexandra Engler. Here we discuss all things beauty taken through the lens of well being. Thank you for joining. So before we get into today's episode, I want to fill you guys in on something fun that we are trying. We are introducing a brand new feature where you can submit all of your lingering beauty questions. Drop in a voicemail and I will answer that here on the podcast. Whether you have a follow-up question about a specific episode or are just curious about an ingredient, routine, or product, we want to hear from you. Head over to sayhi.chat slash cleanbeautyschool to submit your questions. And our team will select a few to answer during special Q&A segments. That's sayhi.chat slash cleanbeautyschool, or you can find that link in our show notes. Stay tuned for more updates on that. Now time for the episode. Today we are talking about ingredient transparency and understanding ingredient lists. It's no surprise to any of our listeners that inky lists can be confusing. I am a beauty director and I struggle with it as well, and, and most professionals do, to be honest. The problem is ingredient names can be super confusing and knowing what your personal standards are can be a struggle given how much misinformation is out there. Oftentimes I hear people talk about their belief that if you cannot pronounce it, you will not use that ingredient. And of course I see no problem with people subscribing by this philosophy if that works for you, but I personally don't believe that in my own use. I think there are so many naturally derived and clean ingredients out there with nearly unpronounceable names that I feel very comfortable using. But that does mean you basically have to put on your chemist hat to get through any ingredient label. But seriously, I can totally understand why users and consumers struggle with this so, so much, especially if you're just casually interested in beauty and really don't want to become an expert in cosmetic chemistry to make sure that what you're putting on your face works for you. Well, that was the idea behind a platform called Clear For Me. It is a service that is able to break down ingredients into easy to understand terms so brands and retailers can be more transparent with their products formulas. Honestly, you have probably already used Clear For Me without even realizing it. So if you go to a website and you hover over an ingredient name and you see like a little box pop up with a short explanation, that's probably Clear For Me. And what's cool is this service was actually born from the idea that this space is confusing, especially for your average beauty consumers. Just ask the founder, Sabrina Norani, who is my guest today. Sabrina, welcome. Thank you. So excited to be here. Yeah, I am so excited to have you because we share a passion about ingredients and ingredient transparency. That is obviously the basis of the company that you started, which we will definitely get into and you can tell us all about but you know this is all to say I'm just you know we we obviously have a very common interest here so I'm so excited to be chatting with you but before we get into ingredients and transparency and the beauty industry I want our listeners to get to know you just a little bit better you know I always love for the guest to kind of share their story and their journey with us so why don't you tell us about your journey into the beauty industry? What What is your background? This is a great question. I, to be honest, 
and straightforward. I don't come from the beauty industry. That's not my background. Uh, my background's in data analytics. I was a derivatives trader on Wall Street, and then I worked for a hedge fund. So I was in a total different uh, line of work. But at the time when I was working, out of nowhere, I developed skin allergies out of the blue around my lips. First, it started with my skin just tightening up around the lips, and then it started to crack and peel, and it eventually started to peel so much and so frequently that I was getting staph infections on a regular basis. Oh, wow. So that was, needless to say, my foray into being a more conscious consumer of products. And what, you know, I started, I was starting from scratch in that journey. I, I really didn't know anything about what, you know, outside of the basics. And for me, I really honed in on the experience when I was going through this journey of trying to find products and what I could use and what was, you know, to get to the bottom of what was happening. It was this, you know, problem. It was this experience I kept, uh, I kept coming across where whenever I picked up a product, whether I was shopping online or in the store, I could never just quickly look at the ingredient list and just understand what it was and what does it do and what are the, you know, what, what it needs. And so that was the start of, you know, my jump into the beauty industry. Okay. So you have this very personal connection to why you started your business. I'm just curious about what you learned about the beauty industry when, you know, you started Clear For Me, because you obviously had this problem as a consumer and then transitioning into an active participant in the beauty industry, you probably learned so much about almost all like kind of the shady the shady stuff that happens in the beauty industry you know what what surprised you about that the biggest surprise to me was the fact that at the core there's no standard for how ingredients are labeled so something as simple as vitamin c which is you know a great ingredient it helps with so many things there's 35 different synonyms for vitamin C. Something is something like fragrance has 32 different synonyms. Formaldehyde, 12. The list goes on. Gluten, 27, right? Even water. Water has 60 diff over 60 different ways that it could be labeled, and it's water. So the fact that there is no standard for how ingredients are labeled was so surprising to me because how can a consumer, one, find the right products for her? tailored to what she needs if the information isn't harmonized in a way that she can search by it. And then on the flip side, that means that the recommendations I was getting when I was shopping online or in stores wasn't data-driven and not personalized to, not personalized, not personalized, I guess I'll stop there. And the, and the fact that the common denominators of products are ingredients and the fact that that information isn't used in recommendation engines is yes. what was the most surprising to me. Because how can you say something is great for X concern or X need when you're not using the ingredients of the products to be able to make that recommendation? Sure. You know, I know you work a lot with various brands and especially retailers. So I'm curious, you know, what was the what was the response from retailers and brands when you went to them with your idea about creating creating something that would help educate the consumer? I I'm sure that, you know, some brands were probably excited. Maybe some brands were skeptical. You know, what was the response there from the beauty industry? The response 
across the board, whether we talk to a brand that's new and, and you know, just launching in, in the indie beauty space or, you know, a really particular a brand that has like, you know, a really niche segment that they're targeting with five SKUs or what up to brands that have hundreds and thousands of SKUs and, and retailers included, they all see that all consumers of all products want more information and they want more education. And that, that thirst for information and education is something that resonated whenever I spoke to companies on the flip side. And I think it's something that always got a conversation started. And the ones that really wanted to focus on solving this problem are the ones that we're working with. And it's been really an exciting journey. You know, you, you a little bit talked about this in your own personal story, but just on a broader scale, why do you think beauty transparency and formula transparency is so important? Because, you know, that really is the crux of clear for me. So like, what's the why behind it? I think the why is personalization. I think the opportunity there is that we're now as consumers able to be expressive about the things that matter to us and the things that are really particular for us that we care most about for our skin or our bodies. And before we were, everyone was boxed into dry skin or oily skin, acne or, you know, anti-aging. It was these, there was these large groups of categories that everyone had to like fit themselves into. And the opportunity now is the fact that we can express and say these are the things that we want out of the products from a performance standpoint. There's also these values that we care about when we're purchasing products and consuming things. And so the the ability to be transparent, not only about formulation, about about key differentiations and and where the source of ingredients and the source of, you know, the why behind why products are being formulated is more important than ever because it's 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 speaking to a consumer base that really cares about this from a 360 perspective um, across the board and so transparency is where like is the is the access to being able to deliver that yeah you know this is a question that i ask because i'm genuinely just curious because you are somebody who does not come like you said you does not come from the beauty background and I, as, as somebody who is in the beauty industry, seeing this explosion and in interest in product formulations and ingredients is, it's inspiring to me. And I love seeing it. I love that consumers are so hungry for information. But, you know, it's, it's something that has certainly almost surprised, I think, a lot of people in the beauty space who have been in the beauty space for a long time, just because the sheer amount of of information that people want is almost, I mean, it's, it's never ending. You know, people are just so hungry for information. And I'm as somebody who is in the business of transparency, why do you think that is like, why do you think there is such a growing consumer demand for this? I feel like, you know, the, you know, a big driver for this thirst for information has definitely been like how technology has become so inter interwoven in all aspects of our lives that we can we can easily, you know, see how fast or how many steps we're taking or how fast we run. We can easily start to be able to measure certain things around us that we're doing in our day-to-day -day lives. 
And I think then that starts to extend into the products we're consuming and what we're consuming and why we should be consuming it. And because we start, we're starting to, to think more in a way that we want to measure what we're doing and we want to see the output of what we're, what we're investing in, whether it's time, money, and resources. And so I think, the, I think that is a driver for why people really seek information is to make more informed decisions because we're starting to see the impact and, and the results of what those decisions are. Yeah, that is so fascinating. And the fact that you tied it back to like tracking and all that sort of stuff, I actually have never made that connection before, but I actually think you're 1000% onto something. I think, you know, we are all in this like mode of optimizing ourselves all the time. And this is just like another element of that. That's such a good point. You know, but to you, to to even elaborate on what you said about consumers want want the things that are best suited for them. I'm curious, you know, what what do you see the consumer like? What are some of the common things that consumers want information on? Is it like they're looking for cruelty free products or ingredients, or is there like a, a a really, you know, a large interest in a certain class of ingredients, you know, like what are the sort of things that you find that consumers are really interested in? So we, 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 we just released an ingredient trend report a few months ago where we showed all of the different ingredients that customer, or we analyzed all of the different ingredients that customers were clicking on to learn more about and searching by. and we found these, you know, we, the results were pretty incredible in the sense that yeah. the top 10 ingredients, um, the top 10 most clicked ingredients, you know, they had some really, they had ingredients that were common, like that we all know, like vitamin E and retinol and hyaluronic acid. And then the number one most clicked on ingredient, and it's, there's two key takeaways, but the number one most clicked on ingredient that I thought was amazing to, and so surprising, but also not was water. And you're thinking, hmm. what? Like, why are people clicking on water? Like, I mean, everyone knows it's like a quintessential ingredient. We're all, you know, we're made of it, all of these things. But I think it speaks to two things. One, it's the fact that everyone is so, 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 so thirsty for information that they want to, they want information about all ingredients. And they just want to understand, like, maybe what this ingredient is or, what, what's, how is it sourced? What are the other th uh, information? What are the other attributes of this ingredient that we can learn about to just understand how this brand is thinking? And it's not necessarily only about finding, you know, quote unquote, the bad information. It's just more information and just being able to understand. Yeah. The second thing that's really important about that is the fact that how water is labeled on ingredients is not always just water. Sometimes it's distilled purified aqua or water from you know aqua from this region or other other names that of synonyms for water that aren't necessarily as like intuitive that it's water and so that makes it just it makes it, it gives that little pause when somebody reads that in the label and sometimes they just want to clarify that it is what they think it is and so i think you know information about ingredients is is really what we've seen is universal across the entire ingredient list, with even with ingredients as common as water. 
Hearing that everyone is so interested in water as an ingredient is so fascinating, given that the waterless beauty trend has become so, so large in the beauty space. So essentially, beauty brands are now making products without water, be it through botanical oils or aloe bases or powder formulas. And the idea here is that they want to reduce their water footprint overall. In fact, major companies like Unilever, L'Oreal, Procter & Gamble, have all pledged to eventually reduce their water footprint in the coming years, and of course, this is all to varying degrees. That's not to say it's bad to have water in your formulas or it's bad to use water on your skin. It's, you know, it's often needed, we need water. But it's just sometimes that it's the default filler ingredient. So brands are reevaluating the formulas, and if it is not needed or they can use something else, they're opting out of it in general. I linked to some stories about waterless beauty in our show notes if you are more interested in, in learning more about that sustainable trend. And so I think what we're seeing is the fact that consumers just care about all of the ingredients top to bottom, maybe not at the same uh, level, not same level of importance, but they, they care about all of it. That's so fascinating. I, I mean, when you said water, I was like, wow, that's definitely not what I thought it was going to be. <laughs> yeah. I mean, another note on that is that 90% of the top clicks that we saw across the board of all in, in all 2020, uh, 2021 is that it didn't even make it in the top 10. So that means there was a larger subset of clicks that were actually out of the most popular ingredients that customers are clicking on, which I think also supports the fact that customers care about, you know, ethyl hexoglycerine down, you know, to the bottom of the inky, just to be able to understand what everything is. So much of, you know, this conversation that we've, that we've had so far is about this idea that ingredient lists and ingredients in general can be very confusing. And, you know, obviously your company was born out of the idea that Labels are uh, not the easiest to read for the average consumer and labeling is, you know, there's so many different ways to do it, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. And I think a lot of brands and, you know, a lot of people in the beauty industry have advocated for more regulation in, in some ways to help deal with this and, you know, in, in some ways to make it a little bit easier to read. And, you know, I'm curious... Where do you stand on the regulation front? Because, you know, when you think about what the FDA has in terms of regulation on cosmetic ingredients, it's, it, you know, it's honestly, there's not that many rules that they set out that they need no, to, that a brand needs to put on their, <laughs> on their labels. So, you know, are you somebody who believes that the, that there should be more regulation? Are you somebody who says, you know, no, we don't need that. It's really up to the brand. You know, what are your thoughts? So I think when there, you know, the fact that there hasn't been regulation in more than 60 or 70 years is it's pretty mind boggling given how much the beauty industry has evolved in just the last five years, let alone the last 50 years. So I do think that there is room to upgrade the U.S.'s regulation standards, no doubt. And I also am mindful that as we've seen in all industries, not just beauty, regulation is always kind of following the trends of what's happening. And they're probably always a little bit too late, right, with things. So for 
for us to like, when we think about what's the purpose of what, you know, what we want, why we want things regulated, it's because consumers want more, consumers want safer products. They want more sustainable products. They want more, you know, they want to make sure that products are sourced in an ethical way. And so I think that what we're seeing with consumers driving that, driving their consumer purchasing decisions based on those types of decision, those types of inputs, it's changing how retailers like Ulta and Sephora and Target, their strategy of how they are betting brands and how they are filling their stores with what types of brands because of consumers changing their purchasing habits for it. We saw it happen in the food industry and it's happening in our industry now. So while I do think regulation can definitely benefit, I think, you know, the real power to be able to change the industry is going to be consumer led because our purchasing dollars and our wallets speak the loudest. And that's why we've seen the changes we have seen, you know, on the scale we have, you know, with some of the largest retailers in the space, which I think is obviously, you know, showing what we've seen in other other markets. Yeah. I mean, just to speak on that is, you know, one of the largest trends that we've certainly seen in the last 10 years is this push towards either cleaner formulas or, you know, more naturally derived ingredients or, or, you know, more sustainable, sustainably minded ingredients. And I do think that that is like where Clear For Me really does really help consumers so much because you guys really can help guide them in a lot of those directions. And, you know, you obviously work with a lot of retailers and how are they responding to, you know, this massive shift in the industry? Do you think they're, you know, they're, they're able to meet the consumer there? If you are a brand or retailer in the space, you are obviously looking at market trends. You are looking at what consumers are caring about. You also probably look at, you know, inside yourself that when you are, when you have questions about things that you are looking for, for yourself or for your kids, you do what we all do and you Google things, right? And we're all, yeah. we're all, we're all consumers in our hearts too, right? So, you know, conversations that we've had with brands and all of our retail partners, like they're excited because they see, they see this trend happening, not only in their own lives, but in their, their guests and their customers' lives. And so, I think, you know, everyone is going to approach it differently and, and prioritize different different ways to, to deliver this to consumers. But I think what we've seen across the board is that everyone sees that this is, you know, where consumers are living and going. And so in order to, in order to service them, you're going to have to meet them there and you're going to have to figure out how to, how to get there. And I think that's, you know, that's the big opportunity, but that's what Worse, you know, that's what's exciting about the industry and getting to innovate and iterate, measure and do it again. And I think that's something that we are really excited to 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 be a part of that. Yeah, I mean, on the on the question of innovation and um, moving forward in an ideal world, what does the future of the beauty industry look like? You know, what what do you envision? So I think you know a key. A, a key problem right now is information overload. And, you know, mm. one of the, one of the, one of the sources for that is like, you know, lack of standardization, it's information everywhere, nonstop, right? It's, you know, everyone's overwhelmed and, and, and it's hard to make a decision or it's hard to feel confident about things. So I think the future of beauty is 
working towards true personalization, being able to really be able to understand your customers' concerns, the things that they care about, and being able to consistently share a personalized experience wherever they are engaging with your products. And so for us to, you know, be a part of that, you know, being able to help solve for information overload is is where I think a big opportunity lies and where I think brands will be able to really capitalize on if they solve that in order to be able to not only speak to their current customer base, but attract new customers to their brand. Yeah. I, you know, saying something like information overload is, I, I, it piques my interest just because I, I tend to agree with you. There's so much information out there. And, you know, I, I love the fact that there is a lot of content out there and I love the fact that people are so engaged with it. But because there is so much, a lot of it can, you know, sometimes not be the best. Do you find that you guys and your retailers and the people that you work with are constantly almost like battling this like onslaught of bad information in the beauty industry? Definitely. I think that, you know, that's definitely a problem there. And, you know, the key thing is like, and actually, you know, across all of our partners, whether it's a, you know, a brand that has 50 SKUs or a retailer like Ulta, like everyone's goal is to try to make it easier and more simple for their customers to make a decision. Like because of this information overload, we're all feeling so overwhelmed. And so I think that, you know, if we can all work towards making it simple and, and easy for customers to be able to get information that they need from a trusted source um, without any judgment, without saying, you know, if you do this, that means, you know, you're a bad consumer. Like, and, and that is, you know, the shaming is real also in the beauty industry. Oh my God, totally. <laughs> I completely agree. And I'm somebody who like, like I, I personally use mostly quote unquote clean products and, you know, sustainably minded stuff, but Oh my God. I just, I can't get behind the constant shaming. Yeah. And it's tough, especially, you know, I'm a mom. And so, you know, sometimes I have, you know, sometimes I choose to use products that maybe I won't always use, but that's just what's going to work. For example, on my daughter's eczema right now, right? It is what it is. And sometimes we all make choices that are good for us at the time with the information we have and the resources we have. So I think it's, you know, the goal for us is not to help not to add to that of like, don't use this ingredient or use this ingredient only. It's really just about how can we provide you the answers you have about what you're using so that you can make an informed decision for you um, based on what you care most about. Because most of the time, it's, it's ingredients are a great piece of it, but it's one part of the pie, right? It's also the reviews and being able to make sure that it's the right price point and it's the right concern that it's addressing. And so I think, you know, we just want to make it simple. We want to make it easy, but more effective, more important, we want to make it personalized to, to the information you care most about. Yeah. No, I mean, it's such a good point. And one thing that, you know, we often talk ar about around here is, you know, nobody uses a, even if you are somebody who like says, oh, I only like natural products. Or if you say, oh, I only like sustainable products. It's like nobody is able to do that 100% of the time. Like no one 
ever eats perfectly clean 100% of the time. Nobody is like constantly like moving their body perfectly. So why do we hold this unattainable standard in beauty? It's it's challenging. I don't know. You know, part of it is an archaic way that we've maybe been marketed to or maybe, you know, who knows? I, I don't know the answer to that. And I think you know, as humans, we're we're really hard on ourselves, not just in, you know, in the products and, or in the beauty world. It's in terms of us, if we're not improving enough or, you know, if I'm if I'm not the perfect mom or I didn't make the right, you know, I didn't make the right breakfast or, you know, I lost my temper. Like it's 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 the shame and the guilt is real for sure. Right. We're really hard on ourselves. And and I think it's it's something definitely to explore, to be able to break that as a cycle and, you know, in, in our community, because it's not helpful. <laughs> no, I, I completely agree with you. Now, after having said all of that, <laughs> my next question is going to be, what do you personally look for in products, you know, in this? And and let's say this with a caveat as, you know, there is this is a judgment-free zone. And just yeah. because, you know, anybody likes a certain sort of thing doesn't mean that the alternative is bad. You know, this is just more about, like, what do you personally look for in products? So I'll be honest, the products I'm looking at is the opportunity for me to explore the world of anti-aging products and ingredients. I, you know, for the last six years, I've been pregnant and breastfeeding and pregnant again and breastfeeding and then pregnant one more time. And so I just finished, you know, I had my baby daughter eight months ago, just finished breastfeeding and kind of, you know, getting back to feeling like, you know, myself. And I hadn't, you know, I keep hearing about this retinol ingredient for so many years and <laughs> that I just never got a chance to get into it because, you know, I had to wait. And you're not allowed, you know, technically was advised not to start it. So that's something that I'm like experimenting with and just having fun with and just learning a little bit about and dipping my toes in. So that's an ingredient that have, that's piqued a lot of my interest. Yes. So most experts will encourage patients to avoid retinol while pregnant and breastfeeding. While most of the research has been done on oral consumption of retinoic acid, out of an abundance of caution, derms tell you to avoid topical use as well. But if you're looking for other healthy aging ingredients while pregnant or breastfeeding, there are so, so many out there. Bakuchi oil is probably the most famous right now because it has very similar effects to retinol and it also does not make your skin photosensitive. But you can also look for things like azazelic acid and peptides if you are looking for healthy aging ingredients during this time. And then in light of, you know, in to match that up, it's just as you get older and you just think more about moisturizing. So I'm really obsessed with hyaluronic acid and trying to find the right serums that can help and just make me feel more moisturized and just brighter. So right now, those are the two key things that I'm I'm having fun and playing with. Okay. I I love that. I am somebody, you know, who is also deep into her, you know, anti-aging, healthy aging journey and who is very much interested in all those sorts of ingredients. So I am definitely right there with you. And so, you know, it's a uh, anti-aging ingredients. They, they can be tricky to find which ones work best for you. I'm somebody who can't tolerate retinol all the time, but you know, it's, we take it in doses. <laughs> yeah. And then we figure it out from there. I definitely so went listen, through that life. when I tried it and, and, and had a few days of peeling and I was like, what's going on? And, you know, that's 
apparently very normal. So it is very normal. It, you know, there's definitely that retinal reaction that you have to work your way through. It's not fun in the moment, but it is not. <laughs> but, you know, eventually they do tell you that it will all be worth it. And I I'm somebody who no matter no matter even if I like push through that retinal reaction, I I really can only use it a few times a week just because of how sensitive my skin is. And, you know, that's OK. Everybody has their own limits and every uses, everybody uses their products as best they want to. So, <laughs> Yeah, well, I'm still in the really early stages of it, so I might ping you later for for more tips on it. Yeah, you know, there's there's so many retinol tips out there that that can make the process easier. One tip, actually, that I that I love that I learned from Mederm is everyone always tells you to wear retinol right on clean skin, like apply it on freshly cleaned skin. But yeah. if you put on like a light hydrating moisturizer and then put on the retinol. It actually buffers the retinol a little bit. And so, you know, it definitely doesn't like penetrate as deep into the skin, but it does make it easier on the skin, especially as you're working, as you're easing yourself into it. So that might be something that you can try. Wow. Thank you. I definitely will. Yeah. I There's so many retinol tips out there and I'll definitely make sure to link to a few in the show notes on this. You know, the last thing that I just want to chat with you about is, you know, this is a beauty podcast that is taken through the lens of wellness and health. And so I always love hearing about how people take care of themselves. And, you know, this this can be a beauty question. This cause a lot of people do answer this in, in the vein of beauty and self-care. But it's also just how you take care of yourself in general, whether that be how you take care of your mental health to how you take care of your body to how you eat. You know, it's a broad question, but I, I kind of leave it up to the guests to to figure out how they want to take it. So how do you take care of yourself? This is a good one. And it's a journey for me. And I want to caveat this first to say that, you know, the things that I think work really well for me, I don't do them every single day. I wish I did, but I know that when I do them, they are they work really well for me. So I, you know, I, I first think of when I, when I first think about taking care of myself, I think of three main things, breathing and like taking the time to just breathe for a few minutes and only focusing on that. Um, gratitude. So, I, you know, thinking about being intentional and taking time to, to go through this exercise of what I'm really grateful for. I actually, I, I, I um, double duty this task for myself when I do the sleep bedtime routines with my son. And before we, he goes to bed, we both do this exercise of like two things that we're grateful for and what's one thing we're excited for for the next day. So it forces me to be able to take the time to recognize what I'm grateful for by also doing that during bedtime. So that's a little hack that I can share. That, and, that's so <laughs> cute. Yeah. And then the third thing is sleep. And it's so, it's easy to say, but those are the three things that obviously I, I think a lot about. And I mix in time for myself. I know that sometimes if I take time for myself to go work out or just go for a walk, even if, you know, the kids are a little bit crazy or things are a little bit nuts at work, that really helps me to be able to take intentional breaks that aren't on my phone or on my computer where I'm just kind of scrolling or just just jumping from, you know, my emails to my Slack channels or everything else that is on my phone. 
So those are some of the things that I think about that I, I would love to do a lot more of and more consistently of, but I know when I do it, they really, really help me. So you said sleep and sleep is something that we talk a lot about here at My Buddy Green because we know how important it is. And I'm curious, do you have any wind down, you know, things that kind of help you lull yourself as you go to bed? Any Anything that you, that you stick yeah. to? Any habits? So one is I have my phone charger like on a, on a wall outlet that's really far from my bedside. And so I have to put it there before I get, you know, get ready and go into wash my face and brush my teeth and get into bed. And so that's one I'm not, you know, that's definitely, you know, the, one of the ones I love the most. And when I do it, whenever I do it, I feel like I'm able to actually get to bed much faster. The second was a sleep mask, but I recently learned that it's not recommended from a beauty and in the, in the role of anti-aging goals that I have. Oh, what do you mean? Like a, I don't like know. an actual I was, like eye mask? Yeah, that I was told, I, I read that somewhere that I thought maybe that is not great for your skin. And so then I was, and so it kind of jarred me and I'm kind of, you know, wrestling with what well, I should do because as soon as I put on an eye mask, I feel I can just immediately shut off and go to bed. Sure. Well, I'm going to have to look into this. Maybe, I mean, do you use a silk one? Silk ones are nice, are like good for I your do. skin. That's the one I love that. The slipwear one is, is what became my favorite. I mean, this is sure. new. It was new. It was a podcast I listened to with Dr. Lara, Lara Devkin. And I was like, oh, okay. But, you know. Fascinating. I know I'm going to have to look everyone, into this. Yeah. You know, my argument, my, my counter argument to that would be, though, that sleep is arguably more important for anti-aging. So <laughs> if, if wearing a sleep mask gets you to bed, I would say that kind of, you know, at, it at least like if no, you have to totally. pick one between the other <laughs> it would be more sleep 100 percent, and that's very true yeah and then the third thing i think with the bed is just having a really like great comforter i feel like whenever i get into my bed it, it's like my comforter that i like just know and feel and it just feels like it helps relaxes me and sinks me in which is probably why i can't work ever in bed because it's not effective for me <laughs> Well, listen, uh, thank you so much for joining me and chatting about all this stuff today. Obviously, ingredient transparency and the future of, of the beauty industry in regards to, you know, how we talk about all this stuff is so important to me. I think about it all the time. Obviously, it is important to you, which was why I was so excited to chat with you. So thank you so much for coming on and sharing your insights. and you know, filling us in a little bit more on the trends and then also sharing uh, some of your wellness hacks, which I loved hearing about. So I just wanted to say thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. I mean, Mind Body Green is, is, has been a resource for me. Actually, when everything started with my lips, it was something that I turned to all the time for information. And so we're, I'm a huge fan and we love what you're doing and support, support you guys. So thank you. Well, uh, that is so great to hear. I I am personally such a fan of what you guys are doing. So the feeling is mutual, I know. But thank you, thank you, thank you again for joining. Thank you. Hey, everyone. Thank you so much for listening to this episode. If you want more beauty content, you can find it at mindbodygreen.com or any of our social channels. And finally, if you liked this podcast, don't forget to rate and review us. Thanks for tuning in. See you next week.